Hello, I am Adam Scott, founder of Experience Master Planners Free State, and welcome to this, the Free Thinking Podcast for city makers, brand builders, and storytellers. Today, we have Lloyd Lee, managing partner of U Capital and driving force behind Olympia London, their giant 1.3 billion pound mixed use cultural hub inspired by the live program of one of London's great event destinations. He talks about the value of thinking of the development as a dynamic co-authored platform and the critical importance of sharing the pen around as he helps occupiers write their own stories into the live project. Hello Lloyd, and congratulations on the news today. AG presents Citizen M and Hyatt all signing up for Olympia. Tell us a little more about that. Sure, so we, uh, we bought Olympia about three years ago now, um, and I think there was a lot to learn about the history of Olympia that gave us inspiration to take things forward that have led to today and, and hopefully many more today's to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and the history really of Olympia, which is what makes London in the UK special as a market as well, is that it has history that has carried forth continuously without stop, without fail since 1886, which is that it has been the home of live exhibitions, um, of people showcasing the future um, in all that time um, in, in the exact same place, in the very same halls that people come into today. And we think that's special. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we discovered when we bought Olympia was that it actually sits on 14 beautiful acres in the middle of West London. And while much of West London has grown up around Olympia in that time, um, Olympia has, I think, had a spotted history of investment and support from historical ownership um, and I think it's mainly because it was such a great vision back in 1886. It could withstand, you know, a century of time without substantial new investment to keep it running forward. Um, and I think we felt that after 134 years or so, it was about time. Um, and so today is the beginning. It's the first formal announcements that as part of investing uh, circa 900 million pounds, so call it a billion, two billion, three into Olympia to transform it, all 14 acres, into a new version of exhibitions, creative industries, live entertainment, restaurants, and offices uh, that we have signed the first three major names who have joined us on this journey uh, to create live entertainment venues and hospitality. Uh, and they are Anschutz Entertainment Group, which is probably one of the largest, if not, in fact, the largest live entertainment owner and operator of venues in the world. I think they manage almost 400 venues around the world. They are the owners, for example, of the O2 here in London, um, as well as Hyatt Regency will be opening the second Hyatt Regency in London, and Citizen M, who have done a brilliant job inventing and reinventing the boutique lifestyle hotel Uh, and as a result those three names have come forward with us and uh, we're proud to announce them as as family members today a number more that we hope to announce shortly who will be joining the family wow that is amazing what what a story and i think particularly what i find thrilling about that is you know a lot of people talk about you know a mix of uses a mix of activities a mix of energy but of course 
you know, what we're going to what we've been seeing more and more over the last year is particularly, you know, a lot of doubt about what that ideal mix is and kind of how you make it happen. And it strikes me that, you know, in your three years and particularly the conversations you and I have had, there's been a very clear story from the start about how what this ideal experience might be. And then as you've begun to look for different uh, different partners, they're there to power up this spirit of, you know, that one experience. And I wonder, how did that begin for you? You know, in terms of your research and your understanding about what people were looking for, how did you work out what that ideal mix would be? Well, it's, it's interesting. I think that we've been blessed to have extraordinarily talented people who were willing to share um, the art of the possible with us, mm-hmm. candidly. Um, And I think we saw our role as being someone who could take the pen, um, open the aperture as wide as possible on the paper, and then enable other partners to come and draw. Um, And we said, look, if you take the pen and you draw or you tell your story um, and you see that the aperture is as wide as possible, um, we eliminate the stumbling blocks before we even get started, where sometimes I think people put up walls or put on yeah. uh, false limitations around what can and cannot be done. And we've decided at the early those um, so-called hurdles, yeah. start with the art of the possible. And then inevitably, of course, you have to be disciplined and you have to yeah. work your way back into something that's actually executable. But in doing it that way, yeah. we capture the imagination of some of the most talented people in, in the world Mm-hmm. in live entertainment, in hospitality, in food, in jazz, in music, in education. Yeah. And I think in doing that, what we found is that in addition to us having a rapport with a yeah. partner, we found that equally the partners started to have a rapport with each other. Yeah, um, And that actually started to make a very interesting creative pot, yeah. which we had the role of obviously ensuring, again, was executable. Yeah. But I think we found that in in stirring the pot, yeah. what we found is that that creative dynamism really started to create a very, very uh, authentic, a very, very sustainable, and a very, very powerful um, vision for what Olympia has the potential to become. Yeah. Well, I, I I love that, as you know. I think that, that 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 spirit of sharing the pen around, that kind of you know generosity that you speak of, I think is really powerful because, of course, I think one's audience is then drawn to that because, you know, you're more likely to then have a richer mix of activities going on, which then powers a richer program that gives more reason for people to come again and again. Now, obviously, Olympia is pretty unique, isn't it? Because every three days or whatever, a new story, a new event is coming to the showground to kind of power up a new audience and new stories. So tell me how you began to think about that, because I remember you telling me before about that critical balance in a great place that's between a sense of permanence on the one hand and then the idea that it can evolve naturally on the other. And I'm wondering kind of how you first begun to think about that and particularly the richness of that live program. I think I think there's probably at least a couple of different ways that we looked at Olympia when we first started to explore the art of the possible. Um, And I think the first thing that we realized was that the exhibitions 
um, have such a history going back to when P.T. Barnum was coming to Olympia, you know, the greatest show on earth, uh, and Jimi Hendrix was performing in the 60s. Um, I think what we realized is there is a richness to the tapestry of what happens every three days at Olympia, so that when you look back over a month, a year, a decade, it is a remarkably rich story um, that blends over and over and folds over itself. And what we realized is that's a very special story to tell. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to ensure that it had a sense of stability more broadly around the entire Olympia neighborhood yeah. to be able to keep telling that story. Yeah. And so that was job one, which is yeah. let's make sure that the exhibitions have a long storied future for generations to come. Yeah. But what we realized is once we'd actually established that we were going to do that, once we started hearing what our other partners wanted to do when they were telling their stories about how they would commit long-term to creating live entertainment and restaurants and studio spaces and jazz clubs um, at Olympia, we realized that they were creating um, uh, not only a supporting role to the exhibitions, which are constantly changing and evolving, by creating stable destinations that people could know they could come back to and enjoy, we realized that it was also creating its own voice where someone might come to Olympia and someday might not even know that there were exhibition halls because they always came for the live entertainment or for the food or for the jazz. And that's when we said, actually, now we're onto something. And we charged everyone when they had the pen, we charged them with saying, if you're only coming to your venue because it's the afterthought for something else, then you haven't written your story well enough. Yeah. We want your story to be so good that people come to Olympia just for you. And then they can discover all of the other stories that are here to be told. And that is your job. That's, that's what you should shoot for. And when we realized everyone was busily writing their own stories to mm -hmm. make them that special, then when you look at the collection of what Olympia is starting to become, you realize they are there are a whole host of different, very, very special experiences, both permanent and ever-changing, mm. that creates a very dynamic mix and a very dynamic neighborhood. Yeah. So in terms of then the kind of the operation of that, I mean, yes, you, you speak more like an impresario than a developer, I find, and particularly in the kind of your, your hand movements. I mean, this is a thing that is, you know, it's, it is deeply dynamic. Now, I was speaking to a gentleman called Amal Hazelton, who is uh, from Moment Factory, who you know, began with, you know, as part of Cirque du Soleil, and where they, you know, they, 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 it's from that business. And they talk about the nature of the high street being almost like a live venue. And for them, the thing that's going to save the high street is a better idea of how it is far more dynamic, can learn from almost like, or the way Ross Bailey at Appear Here talks about it, the agora of old, you know, something that is always changing, always flexible. But in terms of what you're doing, I mean, how far will you be going in terms of the experience management on the ground? Because you have these very bold partners here, but yes. to what extent are you hosting it or are they hosting it and you're in the background facilitating? Where's the line there? It's, it's actually an interesting question and it's one that we wrestle with um, all the time. And the reason is because 
for all of the wonderful and, and almost wondrous um, creativity that we speak of right now, there is no question that in the end, you must have the discipline to dissolve it all back down, to basically distill it all back down into execution, into execution, into profitability, into financial stability. And if you cannot do that in our book, then you cannot write that story. It's not responsible because the story is going to burn up halfway through being told because it's not stable. Um, and so one of the things that we are very disciplined on, incredibly disciplined on, is understanding business plans, margins, execution, key risk elements. And one of the reasons, if you look at the roster names that we've just spoken of and the ones that are yet to be announced, they are world-class partners who equally share in that discipline and in the responsibility and frankly, in the track record of delivery that is important to us as investors, because in the end, our ultimate our ultimate goal has to be to act as a good fiduciary to both our existing investors, mm -hmm. as well as to the future of Olympia and any other investments that we make. And in some respects, our view always being long-termist is that if you do it right, then mm -hmm. those two vested interests share common ground. Mm. The problem you get with certain investors is when you're a short termist, mm. that those two views actually oppose each other yeah. because yeah. you're all out for the almighty dollar. Yeah. You don't care about the future. You're just in it for the fast buck. Yeah. But if you can actually build a financially stable, sustainable and wonderful vision, what we have found time and again is that when it comes time to look at your investment returns, if you yeah. do it right and you apply the right discipline with world-class partners, yeah. your investors are actually also well looked after, yes. which is important because they've delivered real value, sustainable yeah. value that other future investors will recognize when they think, yeah. well, what is this worth? Uh, yeah. And that for us is incredibly important. And I would say every bit of 50% of what we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, then, if I think about then those world-class partners, or maybe I think about it, so in the pandemic, you know, well, the last year, what we've learned is the middle has been squeezed, hasn't it? If, if, it's, if it's a generic offer that I can get anywhere, or if it's something that looks, you know, not unlike Amazon, I'm going to get it online. I'm not going to care nearly enough for it. But if it's if it's something world class and something that I've, you know, that is absolutely special and rare at this end or something that's very independent and local and thoughtful at this end, there is, you know, that's where I'm more likely to be. That's where I want to spend my time. So my question to you then is I where many high streets are putting energy into startups, pop-ups, small independents, something that's very local, something that's very new. Are you looking, is that becoming part of what you're doing? Or is does the event showground give you enough difference every few days to not be looking at that particular type of difference? Right. Um, I would say that we believe it's very important to look at these startups, these pop-ups, these temporary ideas very carefully mm -hmm. because 
there is a risk that in their own right, they become the next has been, mm -hmm. the next flash in the pan. Uh, because by definition, that's kind of what you're doing, right? You're just throwing random things in the pan to, just for fun. Um, and it, it at the first seems vibrant and new and fresh and creative because you're coming off the back of stuff that's aging and tired. Yeah. Um, but I think if it doesn't ultimately have substance, yeah. then it's going to be just another flash in the pan, another trend. And very rapidly, you will see that pop-ups, the wrong pop-ups, I should say, mm become no better than the tired mid-market concepts that have yep. already had their day. Yeah. Um, and so for us, what we look at is why is pick a name, Ronnie Scott's mm. still such an iconic jazz club. Mm. It, jazz has been around for generations. People love it. Does it come and go with the trends? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But Bonnie Scott's is still an icon. People yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because what they do is special and it's so well executed that the story keeps getting told to new and younger generations of, of music lovers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know people want to, to experience Ronnie Scott's of old in a new way and they do it yeah. brilliantly. Yeah. Um, and I think in that same regard, if you look at what works in the long run, mm. it's not always about what happens to be new and fresh because a lot of those things will go away very, very quickly, as quickly as they came. Mm. And yet you look back at the past and if you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you've mm. lost some of the most iconic, historic, special stories that yeah. would be a shame to get lost in the rush to the new, new thing. Yeah. And so yeah. we really aim to be as discerning as we can be about both. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And also, I know, you know, you have you have a showground, you know, constantly generating new stories. And I, I like your balance, because I think the other thing that I love about the balance you speak of is that I remember you talk about architecture last time we spoke and about bravery and originality and within that a certain dynamism and of course one of the things you know we see too much of in my view is that a you know a story of flexibility a story of built-in redundancy and fundamentally it just becomes plain vanilla it's it's it, it it is something that has such opportunity that actually it stands for nothing and fundamentally i think what you're doing with with thomas heatherwick is something that it really stands for something. Do you want to tell me a bit, bit, bit about that in terms of the originality there? Absolutely. So we've spent a long time with both Thomas Heatherwick and Trevor Morris of Spark, um, and they have been wonderful collaborators in the vision of what makes Olympia special, um, at least in our eyes, um, and I think in a lot of people's eyes now. Um, and I think the approach that they took was constantly um, twirling the pen around something that had genuine flair that was special for people to recognize but equally they were finding inspiration for the flair in the functionality of the spaces which are themselves yeah. special because of what's going on inside yeah. um, and if and you have to look no further than 1886 when the original grand hall was first built yeah. and today is home to you know, rap concerts and uh, exhibitions of every kind during the daytime because people have found that they really have fallen in love 
with that dynamic original architecture of the steel spans and the arch and the and the glass, the crenulated glass, glass along the front. And I think in taking inspiration from that, they realized that the other spaces, the performing arts venues, the jazz clubs, the art house cinemas, even the offices and the hotels were mm. situated in places and doing things inside the buildings that were so special. They found inspiration of what was going inside the buildings to articulate what was happening architecturally outside the building so that people could almost read it. And I think that's really special. It is. It's very special. And you're also enjoying your roots through, aren't you? That I think you're, you're beginning to open up some roots that haven't been open for, for, for generations. And I, right. I think that, that's exciting, isn't it? Yes. We, we actually discovered shortly after we acquired Olympia that there were two historic roads that had been closed off deep inside the estate. Portcullis Avenue and I can't remember the other one now. And, and I think what we realized is you can't reopen the streets because they actually bisect the original exhibition halls. And so if you if you have a big show and you need to go between the halls and there's a road running through it, it doesn't work anymore. So we cannot reopen Portcullis Avenue, but what we did do is we basically lifted the public up onto the rooftops mm. and created an open two acre span yeah. with views across West London where they could wander. Um, yeah. And that really was the beginning of quite a special idea. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, you know, I think the th you know thinking about a piece of city as a venue like that being experience ready for whatever is thrown at it, I think is incredibly exciting. And also, particularly as we're trying to, you know, as we look to inspire people to, you know, to get back into the city, it's going to be those kind of experiences that one would trust is that helps us fall back in love with the city again. Yes, I mean, I I think if I if I'm honest. The fact that people, right or wrong, and we're not here to debate biology, right or wrong, are fighting against the mask, yeah. I think means they've never fallen out of love with the city. Mm. They're fighting to get back outdoors again, even yeah. today, despite all of the dangers that are out there. Yeah. Um, and so I agree with you. I think there is something about human nature, about humanity that mm. loves open spaces, that loves experiences, that is, humans are a social creature. Uh, we are, and I think the ability to go outdoors, to go to special places, to be surrounded by noble architecture uh, and experience wonderful new stories and things is really yeah. great. And when, you're, when your neurons are firing because of things that you're seeing and reading and tasting mm. and drinking and hearing, and like, it really is quite exciting. And I think yeah. London has always had a lot to offer the senses, it yeah. really has. Yeah. And as a result, I think we felt we were duty bound to ensure that Olympia as a special place in London yeah. could, could match that very high bar that London has set as a wonderful city in yeah. creating Olympia or recreating Olympia as this kind of special place for those kinds of experiences. Yeah, I mean, God, you know, I, 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 you, you are, I, I'm, you're preaching to the converted here. I think that the, the joy of that multi-sensory experience to sit there, I mean, it's the thing we've been missing, those delicious dopamine rushes that come from being curious, not knowing what's going to come around the corner. And I think, you know, so much of what you're doing in that rich mix 
is is an inspiration to others and particularly when i think about you know what's happening up and down the country with department stores going bust and high street struggling you know looking beyond the relationship of retail or hospitality and entertainment and how it's going to be places we work there we live there and then how culture and let's say education and healthcare play their part it will be that rich mix of a blended experience across the day that we're going to want ever more and i think your you know your model is a cracking start for that i'd say well it, it is interesting because as i understand and i've only lived in this country for for about 20 years but as i understand kind of the genesis of the west end as we see it today was partly driven by the war uh which is that you had huge destruction across the city yeah. offices needed to go into residential spaces because there were no buildings at the time and you had mixed uses in the west end which yeah. had not been bombed as badly in some in some places yeah. um, and so you ended up by force of, yeah. of events to have mixed use environments yeah. um, by contrast you go forward 50 years and you see the city which was kind of purpose-built it's all about industry and business mm -hmm. and interestingly today you see the city corporation of london whose whose horizons run out generations and centuries, and they say, maybe we should be welcoming cultural venues into the city. Maybe we should be looking at evening and nighttime economy, because we realize that what part of what makes the West End so special is the fact that you work, live, eat, play, and enjoy all in one great neighborhood. And maybe the city needs to be able to offer something similar. Um, and the fact that shortage kind of had a free reign um, over the last 10, 20 years to invent and reinvent itself and has done exactly that in mm -hmm. tech and in creative industries and in restaurants and in vibrancy and its own sort of kind of hub culture. Like all of that came mm -hmm. out of just an organic way to approach yeah. um, how you use the built environment. Um, yeah. And I think because the city has been so rigidly and, and built in, over time, it's yeah. been more difficult to do that. Um, yeah. And I think as the city corporation starts to break down some of those barriers we are seeing them start to aspire to do some of the things that london elsewhere has been doing so successfully um and i think you're right that is because of what people have demanded um and i think we're answering that call yeah exactly and and i think you know and it will be interesting to then see how you know class e planning which not so much a bit about turning everything to residential but the idea of having flexibility a bit like a, a melbourne laneway where we can be a coffee shop in the morning we can be doing yoga in the afternoon and evening classes after six and then maybe a dance club at two in the morning you know we can have a bit more of that flexibility because i think it will be that blurring of types that will be, well, the thrilling thing. So therefore, I would put to you uh, a thing Roger Madeline told me, which I really liked, was he was saying that, you know, this has been a year stifling, stifling investment, uh, you know, and obviously stifling our communities. But what we're going to find is a roaring 20s, a new jazz age propelling us out of lockdown. Would you agree with that? Do you feel that optimistic, sir? Um. I would say that as a house, we are optimistic by nature, but we always prepare for the downside. We are downside oriented because we think that as investors, that's where your head has to be at. You have to protect against the downside. But inevitably, if you're going to be in this business, yes, you want to be optimistic by nature. So when I look out over the next year, five years, 10 years, 20 years mm -hmm. for, for our business, 
I would say we are optimistic, but I think I would say that where our head really is at is that you're going to see us double and triple and quadruple and quintuple our resolve mm -hmm. to deliver the things that excite us and that we are optimistic about. And we have no doubt that you will need every ounce of that resolve to do it. I don't think it will be all coming up roses. Yeah. I will say I think we're up for some difficult times because once you clear COVID, then yeah. the inevitable question is, how do we pay for the trillions of dollars of jobs, of businesses that have folded? Like it's, it's never free. You always have to pay the piper someday, somehow, somewhere. Um, and we're not, we're not unaware that that day is coming. Um, and as a result, the way that we think we defend against that isn't to play defense all the time, cut costs, cut corners, and go for the lowest common denominator. By contrast, using our optimistic sense and our resolve, we want to go long the market, be yeah. more daring, be more creative, go out there and create more value because we feel like that's in the end the better solution. And we think that the future will reward us for taking that bolder approach. Yeah. Lloyd, that is a brilliant thought. That is right. Let's be led by that. Let's gold plate that sentiment. Sir, thank you so much for your time. You. It's very kind, particularly after your big day. And uh, I look forward to the next conversation. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Lloyd. See you. Bye. Thank you. thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Lloyd. Now, next week we have Amy LeMay, performer, creative leader, activist, Radio 6 DJ, past mayoress of Camden, and now London's first night czar. Wow. From nighttime myth-busting and inequality to the great post-pandemic opportunity for a better world for all, I would happily spend the whole day scheming better cities with Amy. Let's see how well we can squeeze all that juice into our next serving. Do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are and do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you again and see you soon.